Welcome to The Wiretap, episode three. It is February 15th, 2017. I'm sitting here with my buddy, not Chad Costello. Chad is at home sick. He's actually, he feels awful about the Bowling Green Massacre, and he just couldn't bring himself to come out. So right here, I had my friend Jeff in the building while I was working, and I just kind of peeked my head into his room and said, hey, man, you want to be on the podcast? And Jeff said, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so here I have my my good friend, uh, friends for going on about 10 years yeah, now. Yeah, since we've been teaching together at the school. Yeah, uh, Mr. Jeff Page. Hi, everybody. Uh, drummer extraordinaire. And, oh, shucks. <laughs> and uh, one of, one of the, the guys that, um, man, you, you know you got a good friend in the music industry when they can get you a gig, so. Uh, hey man, thank you very much for being on, especially no la- la- last minute. And uh, I, when Jeff walked into the room, he said, "Am I entering the lion's den here? <laughs> Is this going to be one of those gotcha kind of things?" But uh, no, uh, Jeff's a good friend of mine, and I actually wanted to get his perspective on things, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, I want to uh, give some thanks out there for some feedback on our first episode as well as our second episode, my cousin Adriana uh, says some really nice things. Thank you. Uh, My uncle Frank, uh, thanks for the feedback. Scott, my good friend, Scott Carey, thank you. Graham, uh, Graham Bechtel, thanks for the feedback. And I uh, really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening. So uh, when Chad said he was going to be out, I was like, man, we need to do today's episode because of everything that's happening with the Michael Flynn story. Have you been keeping up with that, Jeff? Yeah, a little bit. So just to to catch you up, uh, listener, on Monday of this week, which was two days ago, uh, Michael Flynn resigned and he was forced to resign. Michael Flynn was the national security advisor to Donald Trump and he lasted 24 days, which is a Kardashian marriage. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it's it set, it set a new record. It was a forced resignation by Trump. Now, Michael Flynn was one of those guys that you would see at the Trump rally saying, lock her up, lock her up for Hillary Clinton. And can you taste the irony, Jeff? That's pretty funny. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's looking funny. like if, if you break the Logan Act, um, if you break the law in that way, that could be you. So uh, to, to catch everybody up, okay? Obama put sanctions on Russia and expelled 35 Russian diplomats from the U.S. because of meddling in the last election. No one knows how much. No one knows how much Russia put their hand on the scale in favor of Trump, but it was significant enough for a reaction. Now, Flynn spoke to the Russian ambassador before Donald Trump was sworn in as president, and when Flynn spoke to the Russian ambassador. It was December 29th, 2016. Who was the president at that point? Obama. <laughs> so that this is this is what's important because as a private citizen, you cannot talk to a dignitary from a foreign country about US dealings. So what was said? Why is this such a big deal? Well, we call this the wiretap because the government's listening. And they're certainly listening to the ambassador to Russia. So what was said? Hey, man, how was your Christmas? Was it was it nice? No, 
what was probably said and what we we know now from sources like the Washington Post is don't worry about the sanctions they will be short-lived something to that effect and the US officials know they know that he made this call and and so Flynn lied about it to Mike Pence and top White House officials this is the big deal because here's Mike Pence on television saying Flynn didn't say anything and now, is Mike Pence lying? Is Flynn lying? Now, Mike Pence looks really bad. That's the vice president of the United States. And he was lied to by Flynn. And by the way, they knew about this for weeks. Flynn didn't even deny it when it came to light. The Department of Justice was worried that Flynn could be compromised by Moscow. How is he compromised? So since Moscow knows about the conversation, but the White House doesn't, Moscow could use the info against Flynn and use it as blackmail. So we got, we got your number. We got you by the balls, Flynn. So the conversation was not benign or else Flynn would not resign. Hey, I'm a rapper. So <laughs> it wasn't benign or else he wouldn't resign. I, I could be uh, one of OJ's lawyers. So the question was, was Michael Flynn acting on his own? Was he calling the ambassador to Russia saying that the sanctions wouldn't last long? And was he acting alone? There's Not a likely. little bit of a question there. Not likely. <laughs> and I want to get to why it's not likely. He was, and I'm, and, and this is unfounded. This is just me talking, using my First Amendment rights here. He was probably instructed to make the call by Donald Trump. And we can say, I don't know. Well, no, you can't say that. You can't. Here's the thing, man. I feel like I know him. I feel like I've, 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 after all this election season, I've gotten to know him. I don't know him personally. I, I can't uh, reduce the guy into a box. He's a complex character. He's certainly a, when time called him your person of the year, he's, he's in a way, he could be a historical anarchist like Dan Carlin talks about, you know, just somebody who just kind of burns down pre-established things. But, Here's what I think. And, and this is from a blog post that I wrote um, in 2016, August 31st. It's called The Art of Dealing with Trump. See what I did there? From the blog. I have come to a place of clarity as of late. It was tough going for a while. I was worried and wasting tremendous amounts of time on YouTube and news articles studying the Trump phenomenon. Sidebar, I still am. But anyways... It was worrisome, scary, fascinating, and a waste of time that could have been spent on more constructive things. Then it recently hit me once I listened to a podcast on NPR's Fresh Air called Trump Revealed. It hit me like a wave of calm because I could finally put my head around the guy, compartmentalize him, and deal with his persona. I have dealt with his type before, and I actually had the equipment to move on without being bothered by him. I could finally get through it all. There are two situations that can help you deal with Trump. Number one, have an argument with a drug addict. Two, confront a pathological liar on one of their lies. Here's what happened. Here's what will happen if you do either one of the above scenarios. The person you are confronting will behave like a child, resorting to name calling and eye rolling. Then they will blame you for confronting them and try everything they can to make it feel like it was your fault. Whether this, whatever the scenario, 
You are the one to blame, not them. Say, for instance, you say, you took money from me. They'll say, God, it was only $20. Get over it. I'll pay you back and storm off. Or, hey, you told me you'd be here at 2 p.m. Insert excuse. It's all right. You'll be fine. Soothsaying. Gaslighting. What you won't get is an apology. No, I'm sorry. No accountability for their actions. That's because you are a problem in their lives at that moment and you need to be silenced. You are their source of strife at that time, their enemy and not their friend, family or loved one. It is incredibly painful for you to deal with because you care and their actions hold value to you personally. The drug addict and the pathological liar are unencumbered by empathy because they, for at least a brief moment of time, they're sociopaths. You're encountering someone who is a shell of a human being, who is out for their individual interests only. You only matter if you are an asset, a way of getting what they want. If you are a hindrance, you need to be dealt with. These intentions may be benign or nefarious. A pathological liar wants very badly to be believed, and, and they want you to know they're a victim of their circumstance, whether or not this may be true. A drug addict's goal is drugs and money for drugs. You only matter once their goals are reached. I've had the unusual privilege of being in both scenarios with people I care about. I learned a lot from it, and I have compartmentalized these individuals. Here's what I learned from dealing with high-functioning psychopaths. They will say anything to, get to anyone to get what they want. They care little about the consequences of their words and live moment to moment with no particular long game in mind. And if you impose normal societal expectations on them, they will fortify their positions because they know they have been caught and can't be made vulnerable. I'm going to get off the blog at that moment. So once I looked at how Donald Trump behaved and I went back to those sources, now I'm not saying Donald Trump's a drug addict, but remember this during the, uh, during the, uh, what's it called the debates mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and listen i think i say base case scenario this is a casual does a casual eight ball maybe in the oval office desk i don't know but he doesn't behave like a normal person people are confounded the media is confounded by him because he doesn't behave like a normal human being because he's not normal you can't call him normal he doesn't behave by the regular expectations that you'd have. Um, and Jeff, I gotta, I gotta throw this in your direction. Do you have any experience as far as dealing with people? They don't have to be drug addicts. They could be, you know, alcoholics, pathological liars, narcissists. I, I pretty much dealt with that my whole life growing really? up. Yeah, a lot of the people that my mom associated with were pretty much like that. And there was a lot of chaos. Really? And yeah, I, I could totally see where that would be, you know, some conclusion that a lot of people could come up with, you know, reasons for his uh, behavior. I don't know that there's been a lot of documented proof about that throughout his life. Mm -hmm. I think, in my opinion, what really is happening is that he's lived in this bubble of his own for so long that he just has his own way of dealing with things to get what he wants and it's 
you know, some would say that business dealings are a drug in and of itself. Yeah. And in order to get what he wants, he'll stop at nothing, say whatever he needs to say to get it, to get what he wants done. And then once he gets what he wants done, he'll just blow off everything else that he said like he never said it. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, all the stuff he said about crooked Hillary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, tho- and those are those are techniques, you know, it's almost like a hypnosis. Mm-hmm. I, I heard a guy talk about that during the campaign, that he was convinced that Trump was hypnotizing people. And yeah. saying key words and, you know, when he would say crooked Hillary, when he would say lion Ted, yeah. you know, he was saying whatever he needed to say to get to his goal, he which in this instance was the White House. Now what happened once he's got the White House? Hillary's not going to jail. Yeah. And that was what he said he was going to do. He's going to drain the swamp. Lion no, Ted n- is n- right there as, yeah. you know, an ally now. You know, he got what he wanted and now he's appeased everybody. In one way, shape, or form, you know. Yeah, it, so. it, 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 I've I've never, I I like how you put that, man. Hip, hypnosis. I'm not gonna say he's talentless, because a complete idiot, bumbling, a hole couldn't do what he did. Well, I mean he he is a I I'm saying air quotes successful businessman. Right. Okay. Yeah. He's filed bankruptcy numerous times. Six. Yeah. Times. At but. Least. Somehow he still is where he is or was where he was. And he had to be doing something right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. To keep himself out of jail. To keep himself out of jail. If you listen to that podcast I was talking about, about Trump Revealed, it's like, I I, I don't want to get the facts wrong here, but he basically stayed out of prison or out of bankruptcy or bailed himself out by telling the government, you need to make sure my brand is successful or else you won't get your money back. Right. You know, so there are, and and go ahead and check out that podcast on NPR. But if, when I looked at all the details, it's like, there's, I can't think of one occasion where someone says, nah, he was a really good guy. He, he, he paid us what what, what he said he was going to pay out, pay us. He, he made his, his success, you know, as a successful businessman by just playing one side against another. I so think a lot of it is is settlements and non-disclosure acts. Settlements and non-disclosures. He's got a lot of That's secrets, That's why you man. won't get people that come up against him and say, you know, he did this or he did that, because he probably settled with them knowing that down the road they would be able to open their mouth, but they would have a, you know. He's hushed up enough people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. non-disclosure. So to get back to what you were saying earlier about the drug addict or the pathological liar, you know, the business dealings, are kind of like a drug, you know, yeah. y- when you, you, you conquest, you want to win more, the more you win, the more you want to win. It's like a, a gambling, mm-hmm. the more drugs you get, the more you want lying about stuff, you know, means to your own end. You know, I think business dealings can kind of be that way when you get somebody that is, you know, as successful as he is with, with maybe, you loose screws, I guess. Well, you, you know, know. I, I don't look at him and, and I don't feel hate anymore. I actually feel like he's probably wounded in some way as a really young, some sort of a well, trust me. Issue. You're never going to get 
anywhere with that argument. <laughs> Nobody is going to look at you and say, you know, Phil, you're right. we got to start feeling sorry for him. No, no, no. No way. I, 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 I know <laughs> it, it, it's hard because I can't hold hate in my heart. I, 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 I try to, right. although, I mean, if there's one person I could punch in the face, <laughs> I, just, I, can't, I can't hold that in, in my heart. I have to some, somehow explain it away. Yeah. But I will say this. Trump is the embodiment of all things conservatives claim is wrong with liberals. He's a liar. He's entitled. Never worked a day of labor in his life. He's been provided for. He got inheritance from his dad. He's manicured. He's a New York elite. The epitome of a New York elite. He's a con man. He's uh, uh, he's disassociated with the working class. Now, he resonated with him because he said the right things. Like I said, he has a talent for, like Jeff said, hypnotizing. Mm -hmm. A cheat. A government welfare recipient. <laughs> so it's so ironic to me that in the in conservative circles, he's he's the standard bearer. He's head of the Republican Party. Now, I I wanted you on, Jeff, because you strike me as a <laughs> I see you rolling your eyes, <laughs> um, an open minded conservative in, in your heart. Would, would you describe yourself that way or would you because in some of our past discussions we've had? Yeah. I, I, at the risk of of not being outed or anything, I, I I have tended to vote conservative a little bit more than I would vote for the, more of the left. You know, mm -hmm. I I had a tendency to vote more right mm -hmm. because I always felt, for me, it was it was about na the national defense, yeah, and foreign relations, and a long time ago in some fantasy land, it was about fiscal conservancy. <laughs> but that never actually ended up being a real thing because they both spend like drunken sailors. In now, port. now it's about bathrooms. It, it's, you know, <laughs> it's I, I. I feel bad for voting the way I vote sometimes, and my wife gives me a hard time about it because she mm -hmm. is a dyed in the wool Democrat. And yeah. we have not knock down, drag them out arguments but we do have no there's a lot of people in my family a lot of people who i know that are you know military and law enforcement mm -hmm. and they're they're very conservative people but they're even keeled yeah. and they they're they were like reaganites you know yeah. they, they they kind of uh had this uh classical conservative now the neocon thing mm -hmm. everything from the tea party and all that nuttiness yeah. has kind of like yeah, they lost me there. I was I was never there. Yeah. I was never with that. And you know, at the I, I just want to clarify and I hope I am not considered part of the problem because no. I know that there are some people in some circles that say if you voted conservative even once in your lifetime you're part of the problem. No, and, we, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to I don't want to have be that. like that. I I I don't think that that's true even. I think that that's well, I part hope not, of but there are some factions that are, you know, pretty radical out well, there that would think that well listen listener <laughs> <laughs> unsubscribe i'm just kidding no more <laughs> more subscriptions now i want an even keeled a moderate left moderate right there's solutions in the middle the, is that the, called the, the, a centrist it, no <laughs> it's not being called a centrist i'm telling you yeah. right now you 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 hit on something that i've been saying for for months and maybe even years but, but i think that you can't hide your head in your shell 
and say, oh, I'm just going to wait this out until all these problems go away. And, no, they never know, go away. Put, they just, no. Or just, just put a meme of you in a hammock saying, oh, this, like, I, I'm here <laughs> to say that there's a real problem right. and there are solutions to be found. There and are. I don't want things to burn down trying to find no, those. No, I don't either. The, the, mm-hmm. the thing that I think that that the people that voted for Trump believe is that he was going to go in there and you get that whole drain the swamp thing. But, you know, it's really not being drained. It's just, you know, being more putrefied, you know, because they bring in their cronies. Both sides will bring in their cronies. And what it is, is it's extreme right or it's extreme left. Mm-hmm. You can't get people in the government that are actually compromising in the middle that will say, OK, well, I can give up some of this and I'll give some of that. You know, mm-hmm. we we got to there's got to be some way. I, that's why I always said there's got to be a third party. But people say, oh, you're wishy washy if there's a third party. I would that, love that. I would I would, too. But there's got to be some sort of way. Somebody's got to come up with a solution and say, look, these are the problems. This is what this side wants. This is what this side want. If if we can come together here in the middle and and this is what actually will make it work. Yeah, there's there's a faction of the you know Rand Ron Paul supporters and the Bernie Sanders supporters the Elizabeth Warren there's a there there are commonalities right there that could be touched upon by a third party and, and, and Dan Carlin on, on this podcast today said right. that both of these uh, both of the par- major parties are a stack of cards swaying in the wind right now yeah yeah they really don't know what they're doing right now and they got this wild card that was elected into office and Carlin said he predicted it. And mm-hmm. this is exactly what they got was this political outsider. Yeah. You Be know. careful what you wish for. But yeah, the way he said it on his podcast today, the monkey's paw. Yeah. You know, that's exactly right. But so how did, how did I jump to this? So based on what my dissertation of what I feel Trump is for sure, he told Flynn to call for sure. Why wouldn't he? He's only out for self-interest. Plus he's completely incompetent. So uh, Trump's belief systems, okay, let me just back up, you know, when a man speaks, and I'm stealing this from actually Sam Harris, you get a glimpse of how his mind works. So I'm of average intelligence, and when you can hear me speak, you know how the wheels are turning in real time. You would say I'm just about about moderate intellect, you know, my vocabulary isn't uh, super exceeded. But when you hear Trump speak, he says nothing. (laughs) He'll say I'm so rich. I have so much money. We're going to be very, very tremendous. And so it's like a it's it's all bluster. It's buffoonery. And he's not like a highly intelligent man pretending to be an idiot. He's really running on all gears when you hear him say very, very, very all those times are tremendous because it's like the biggest word he knows. And on top of that, he has terrible beliefs you, you and you can kind of see it underneath un, underneath the surface they're a jumbled mess of conspiracy theories xenophobia eugenics and conjecture right and i want and the actual topic before we got you know the michael flynn thing and before my little rant about trump and uh feel free to jump in anytime you want to talk about this jeff i want to talk about steve bannon today Last week, we talked about Trump's cabinet. Now, I want to talk about the world according to Bannon. Because Steve Bannon gave Trump's impulses an actual worldview and an ethos. 
And that's why Trump trusts him, because like I said, Trump believes that anybody who's nice to him and helps him is a good person and should not be questioned. And anybody who confronts him or criticizes him is a bad person. There's two categories of people. So I want to talk a little bit about Steve Bannon. I don't know if you've, you've done any uh, looking, looking at this guy or, or what his history is, but I, I discovered a lot this week. I dived deep into the world of fringe uh, Republican, uh, no, I won't even call it Republican, fringe right-wing uh, blogs and things like that. And, and I came out the other side, and I, I did it also. You guys don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to talk about the world according to Bannon. So he was born in Richmond, Virginia, and he's a veteran. He served in the Navy for eight years in the Persian Gulf. Uh, he's a Reaganite. And so when I think about uh, Steve Bannon's youth, I think of Alex P. Keaton, from uh, Family Ties, remember how he was like a big. He had like a picture of Reagan right. and everything. He 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 was really a big believer in conservatism. He got his degree at Harvard Business School, and became a mergers and acquisitions banker at Goldman Sachs. Now, for for all the, the and I saw the the documentary uh, Generation Zero, and for all his demonizing of Wall Street, it's it's kind of surprising to hear that the guy was part of that, you know. So he became a producer and documentary filmmaker of kind of right-wing movies. And uh, when Andrew Bart, when he met Andrew Breitbart, he took over after Andrew died in 2012. Uh, he was really an early harbinger of things to come during the Tea Party movement. In fact, I think he was looking for his, uh, you know, I guess, uh, I, I call it the Poleznie Duraki. Poleznie Duraki, Russian word of the day, means useful idiot. <laughs> and I, th I believe that he found it with Sarah. I think he found he thought he found it with Sarah Palin. He was going to try to ride that uh, wave to the White House, but it didn't quite work out. He had to wait a few years. So he became an anti-establishment conservative voice. And he said that Paul Ryan was grown in a petri dish at the Heritage Foundation. So he really has a disdain for establishment conservatism. He's an instrumental in unseating John Boehner, uh, former House Speaker, and laid the groundwork for populism and Trump. So he was one of the, like I said, early harbinger of things to come in the Tea Party movement. He took Trump's impulses and shaped them into a tangible worldview. And uh, one of the, the, the proponents of his, his uh, belief system is anti-globalization. Globalization. Globalization. That's the word. <laughs> That's the English word. Of the the English, I can't. I, I got jumbled <laughs> here. I need a. I need a beer. We'll take that out in post. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to do any editing. <laughs> so he calls himself an economic nationalist and never distanced himself from white nationalists. Now, this is where the racism comes in, and I, I've found that I have a, a bit of a different opinion about this from doing these my studying of him but the travel ban was most certainly the brainchild of steve bannon not trump i mean trump enacted it but bannon was trump's soothsayer in the matter and it's totally clear when you see his worldview so globalization is how we have these trade deals and china has this trade agreement with the u.s and it puts u.s workers out of business 
so that China can make cheap products overseas and sell to us and we buy from them. And Bannon believes that we've really been screwed over. And there's actually some valid proof. You know, what, what's strange is when you find somebody that you think is your enemy, but you find yourself agreeing with them in, in certain weird ways. I sat through this hour and 14 minute, 17 minute uh, video on YouTube called The Untruth About Steve Bannon from Stefan Molyneux from freedommainradio.com. Very right wing. One of the other videos was a climate change denier who wrote a book about it. And I thought climate change deniers were illiterate, but this guy actually wrote a book. I didn't look at that video. But he's, uh, Steve Bannon's even against legal immigration. So if you're, if you're, if you belong in this country and you want to matriculate to, to this country, he even says, well, let's cut it off right there. So let's also talk about his idea of the fourth turning. He believes that our nation is in a fourth crisis. First crisis was a revolution, war of independence. Second was the civil war. The third was the Second World War, and the fourth is right now. And you notice that the implication is that there's going to be a war. He believes there's going to be a war with China. And <clears throat> uh, it's really scary when you think about that. But don't worry, it gets better. Stay tuned here. So everybody calls him an anti-Semite because of what, what he was said to his ex-wife because of some family situations about him not wanting his girls to go to a school that had, according to his words, too many Jews in it. I'm actually going to step back from it, and I'm not going to call him an anti-Semite. I'm not going to, to go that route, because that would mean that it would affect his hiring practices. And there are Jewish people that work at Breitbart. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, for instance. So I believe he is against anybody who has liberal tendencies. So he, he's actually not anti-feminist. He likes Ann Coulter, he likes Sarah Palin. He will align himself with anybody that agrees with his worldview. He believes in nationalism. Now, this is what I learned from this, that guys that are into nationalism, I'm talking about alt-right, white nationalists, economic nationalists, they look at a nation like Japan and they're a little envious of it because it's a national identity that's also a ethnic identity, okay? So they look at Mexico. Well, there's a bunch of Mexicans in Mexico. So their line of thinking is actually, why don't we have just a bunch of Americans who live in America? <laughs> Jeff, that's, that's do you not, see the problem here? That's not what this country was founded on. That this this nation is a miracle. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it doesn't the argument doesn't hold water. And this is my point, man. The alt right, the right wing fringe wants to sit down and have a conversation, and they want you not to be the regressive left that shouts them down. They want you to sit down and patiently listen to their argument for what, why they believe what they believe. So I tried that out. And do I have to explain to you that the Native Americans here were basically, there was a genocide, that there has never been a white American nationalist movement. There's 
German festivals, there's Polish festivals. They all go back to Europe. In this country, it's a multiculturalism is part of the fabric of America. You know what I think it is, Jeff? I think it's actually too much freedom. We are so free in this country that we're able to believe in stupid crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We are so free that we can take history that we should have learned from and completely disregard it because we want to entertain this novel idea that this country is something other than what it actually is. Yeah. So, no, we're not Japan. We never will be. We never will be. Nor, nor should we be. I mean, that's, that's thousands of years of living on an island. You can't compare anything to Japan. Yeah. That's thousands of years of having to fend for yourself and, and survive. And it's just... But I watched the videos, Jeff. This is their argument. Well... <laughs> <laughs> their, their argument is, is like, if you're against nationalism, then are you against Japan? Are you against Mexico? Are you against nations that have a, a cultural identity that's also an ethnic identity? Why don't you want to entertain the notion? I think part of the problem with things like this is we as, well, as human beings, first and foremost, we have no idea how giant the world is and how giant the country is that we live in. I mean, if you stop to think about it, 330 million people in this country, 330 million, That's a lot of people. You're never going to get them to do the same thing. It's not going to happen. You know, there are so many people to govern and so many. We've let all these different ethnic groups in the country as they absolutely should, because that's what this country was born to be. We were this place that was just able to accept all these people. And we, we get along for the vast majority of people in this country. We get along. Yeah. And we've made it work and we've made this, this great country. That's just the way I feel, you know. And the vast amount of people, we just have no way, no concept of understanding that that's a lot of people. You know, people don't stop and think about that. They think, oh, this guy's going to be our president and he's going to get some things done. Well, there's a lot of people we have mm. to deal with. Yeah. A lot of people. I want to move on. This, 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 uh, to further uh, kind of take a closer look at Bannon, this is from a Vox article. Bannon's worldview is strangely tied to religious ideology, as he often refers to the Judeo-Christian West, constantly saying that. And he sees secularism as a crisis amongst the younger generation. There is apparently a severe prejudice against Islamic peoples. An all-out ban on legal, even legal immigrants is part of his ideal. ISIS is a product of globalization. Globalization. <laughs> globalization. <laughs> ISIS is a product of globalization. And to create a nationalist America to obliterate Islamic extremism in the Judeo-Christian world. So I wouldn't even say that he's anti-Semite. I think he actually admires Israel for being a nation that was in recent history built around an ethnic and uh, ethnic identity that's also a national identity. I'm not going to get into the Israel thing on this podcast. 
agree or disagree with it in, in, in any regard. But I'm saying that that's where he stands. He actually admires that. The Democrats did not energize the populist vote in America, but Trump did. How? He gave the Rust Belt platitudes, which made them believe that he had their interests in mind. The white working class bought it hook, line, and sinker. Fringe ideas, first manifested in the beginnings of the Tea Party, have come to bloom in the White House. So why isn't Bannon distancing himself from white nationalists? He, he, maybe he's not alt-right. Maybe he's not a racist. But fringe movements must be careful not to alienate other factions or fringe ideals. The economic nationalists aren't the same as the white nationalists who aren't the same as the militia groups. But to keep the entire movement together, Bannon must be careful to not reject any of these movements. So perhaps he's not racist, but he certainly tolerates racism. So like I said before, Steve Bannon took Trump's uninformed and banal view of the world and gave it an ideology. That's why he's in such a high position. Like any drug addict and sociopath, Trump believes that good people are nice him, uh, people that are nice him are equate to good people. So Trump is Bannon's Polesnie Duraki, his useful idiot. Bannon has a vision for America and it has nothing to do with the America that I believe in. Conservatives call and call liberals the regressive left, mainly because leftists shout them down or do not listen to the ideas of, of, of their own. So I, I got into that already. But I actually want to get into, if you have to go, you can, you can, you can, you can split, dude. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm just going to go on about the travel ban. If you want to get into that. <laughs> or, or I'm stepping into deep waters, Jeff. Do you want to join me? <laughs> uh, I'll make this my last, my last foray into this poli political thing right here. So... I got Talk this. To me. I got this from uh, the Young Turks. Say what you will about them. The travel ban was completely incompetent, and that is the silver lining in all of this. That Steve Bannon really doesn't have an idea of how to make this happen. He just wants the whole thing to burn down. So as we react, as we fight, that's exactly what he wants. He wants the entire structure to burn down. He's an anarchist more than having an ideal. How do I know this? The Department of Justice didn't know about the travel ban. The Department of Homeland Security had no idea it was going on. They found, about it, found out about it on the news. Ari Melberg tweeted, Trump White House shielded ban order from formal review by NSC lawyers or by any agencies, including Department of Justice. John Harwood said, senior DHS officials tells NBC, news that career professionals at state DHS had no input on directives. They're scrambling to interpret and implement it. They didn't know what was going on and they all of a sudden they had to implement this travel ban. You can call it, you know, you can't call it the Muslim ban. It's the travel ban. It was just a temporary ban. Don't you want to be safe? Blah, blah, blah. No one could review executive order. No one told them that it's totally illegal. Trump learned that laws apply to the president in real time. He literally learned that laws apply to him in front of the entire world when the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said that the travel ban was illegal, unconstitutional. He signed the order before there was any way to effectively implement the order. So that just goes to show you it's not really a sincere movement. He actually wanted things to, to fall apart. It's not part of his ideal. Bannon got him to do it. He played him for a fool. 
So these are just bad ideas, man. <laughs> I'll sit and listen to, 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 to the other side propose their ideas, but it's just, they're just, they just don't work. The travel van was never supposed to work. What did they expect? They expected this to be an uh, authoritarian rule? The travel ban, I think, I as I was listening to it, I could see some justification for it. Uh, especially if it was only for 90 days to thoroughly revamp the vetting process for only those seven countries. The seven countries were countries that were actually named by the Obama administration previously as countries to watch out for because their vetting process was not working for us and it was letting too many people that we weren't quite clear who they were to get into this country. And if you think about it, there's only seven countries there's 43 other majority Muslim countries that aren't on the travel ban, and they're still coming in. There's still people coming in. Okay. What about for green card holders? Well, see, that's the thing. That's, I'm, he screwed it up. They really screwed it up. I don't know how he could think. I that think he was set up to, it. to I, He to might have been up. set up to screw it up. Yeah. I, I could see it, and I could understand having that travel ban for people that, we're just now trying to get into the country. Now, people that have already been in the country, have their green cards, have been screened out. People that are newly trying to get into the country for 90 days only, just to thoroughly vet them. I could understand that. But what he did was he threw this thing out there, and it was so poorly implemented that it was just bound to fail. Yeah. Now, it wasn't unconstitutional, as the court had said it is and I'm sh I think we're going to see that isn't it uh, up for debate now I think it's up for debate but I think there's a clause in the constitution that says the president has the right to block anybody from coming into the country if he feels that they are a threat to the country now he's not doing that it's not a Muslim ban it doesn't say that anywhere in the executive order I read the whole thing top to bottom yeah but you know it does look on the face the, of it the like the term it's a Muslim, Muslim ban. ban was thrown around well it was during thrown the around out there by people but that wasn't thrown out by him and they never said well, that during word. during his campaign you did uh yeah he said that yeah he did say that that's why but that's, that's why people get really really yeah. offended. like it's 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 yeah. not a Muslim ban yeah no Muslim I'm not mad about that I'm not countries but, but it's just not it's travel ban it's seven it's seven countries that they want to revamp and and you know I kind of could understand that mm -hmm. I I could I'm sorry I just the way I feel about it I want to keep the country safe but you know it was poorly implemented the I man mean, with the lower voice is Phil Romo and the guy <laughs> with who's actually larger. So don't <laughs> confront him on the street. <laughs> he will mess you up with, with a little bit of a higher pitched voice, as Jeff did. So, yeah, I got to, you know, I, I'd like to discuss that further with you when I do some research. Um, but Trump's not just a liar. He's also delusional. Sorry to pivot from here. But you know how Sean Spicer defends him? He says, it's a belief he maintains. <laughs> That's how it would be like, what, what do you think that Trump, what's Trump saying here? That's just a belief he maintains. Like a belief matters <laughs> whatever you believe doesn't matter facts matter <laughs> okay so it's a it's a crazy time right now and at last episode i said well not if he gets impeached when and i believe it's an issue of when at this point so we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll land this plane right now jeff um, I, think, I think it's going down that path 
that there's people that are just going to be relentless in in having that happen. Yeah, but but I don't think they're going to have to look too hard. They, they were relentless. He's do a lot of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he's he's just he, he's covered in impropriety. Uh, yeah. Like of, of course it's going to come down to that. Yeah. So here's what I believe about Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is trying to overload you and exhaust and exhaust you with outrage. He's trying to get you to lose your mind so you just give up. He doesn't expect you to be strong. Like I said, the last thing they expect is for you to be strong. The least competent political actors in Washington would have told you the travel ban would not work. They did it anyways, knowing it would fail. So I want to get into incompetence and to, to finish off. The plan wasn't an effective white nationalist. wasn't the way an effective white nationalist would make policy to undermine the courts or keep the nation pure of Muslim. You can kind of look at Steve Bannon as king of the trolls and Trump as his troll in chief. Breitbart is a vehicle for outrage and outrage is how the fringe right wingers demonize the left, but it doesn't make good policy. There is both a belief and a refusal to own the belief. Breitbart has mastered it. You can say something outrageous. Who was that guy, the alt-right guy? Um, Richard Spencer, he did a Heil Trump. And then later when, when he was interviewed about it, he said, it was just ironic. I was just trying to be ironic. So you can make an outlandish statement. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the political equivalent of pseudoscience, this alt-right stuff, this fringe stuff. It holds no water, and no one espousing the beliefs will actually go to bat for it. But it has a vantage point to ridicule anyone who's actually in the battle on either side. Don't get suckered into it. I think it's so fringe as to be kind of, you can't discount it because they are out there, yep. but I think it is is a lot more fringe than the media is letting it. So just put, put the spotlight on them and, yeah. the, and the roaches will scatter. Yeah. You know how they blurred it when he had that white nationalist conference? They right. blurred out their faces. Why? I don't want them, the, you know, the media just shouldn't ruin their lives. If you're at a conference hey. for white nationalists, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to wear it, game. you better wear it proud. Exactly. You know? Own it. Yeah, that's the owl. You better if, if, own if you're it. Willing if you to, have to the, go, yeah. go to bat for it. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, you know, these are snowflakes. Well, listen, some of these anti-fascist snowflakes are punching you in the face. So own it. Live mm. with it. So if you're willing to go to bat, if you're willing to live and die for that, there you go. So I didn't do this and I should have done this. Hey, listener, what do you think? <laughs> get get to be part of the conversation. My buddy Jeff, I just knocked on his door. I said, hey, want to come in and talk a little bit? And I think this went great, right, Jeff? Yeah, I like it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I want to invite you to your opinion. What do you think about the topic for today? We deconstructed a lot. How, how long did we go here? Were we about an hour? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I say keep your head. Let's keep discussing. Let's keep finding good solutions. Um, I want you guys to know I appreciate every listen, every download, every subscribe. And uh, let us know what you thought about this episode. We're going to have some more guests. Next week, I'm really excited about the topic. I don't want to reveal it, but I have a special guest talking about something really relevant today from a dark past of our nation's history. Teaser, teaser. So once again, this is for the victim victims of the Bowling Green Massacre. Uh, I'm going to go get dinner with Frederick Douglass and thanks for listening to The Wiretap. Bye-bye.
Wiretap is produced by Phil Romo and Chad Costello. Logo and artwork by Jasmine Michelle Designs. Recorded in Burbank, California. <laughs>